We're in the middle of the testimonies which testified regarding different laws, and this mission is also found in Masach Zavachim as a continuation of a rule stated over there. The rule stated is regarding the fact that the skins of certain carbonists go to the Kayanim. They're not burnt on the Mizbeach, they go to the Kayanim and they receive that portion of the carbon. However, if the carbon itself became invalid before the skin was taken off the carbon, then the Kayanim would not receive the skins of that carbon, because the Kayanim only received the skins of a valid carbon. However, if the skin was already taken off the animal, then even if the animal and the carbon becomes invalid later on, the skins would still go to the Kayanim. Now what Rabbi Chaninus Ganakarim is coming along to say is that this critical time of taking the skin off of the rest of the animal, that once that's been done, then it will definitely go to the Kranim even if the carbon later on becomes invalid. But if the carbon became invalid before the skin was taken off, then the skins of the animal would not go to the Kranim. Rabbi Ganakarim comes along to say that it doesn't depend on when the invalidation actually occurred in the animal, when it became invalid as a carbon, but rather when it became known to us that the carbon is invalid. Now, most invalidations of a carbon, we wouldn't necessarily know before the skin of the animal was taken off. For example, if there is an internal wound in the animal, we'll only discover that after we've slaughtered the animal and taken off the skin. And because of that, the deputy he said, I never saw the skins of a animal go to the place that they burn carbonas which have become invalid, and the same would go for the skins, if they wouldn't go to the Kayanim. Rather, the skins were always given to the Kayanim, reason being that they would always only find that the carbon was invalid after they'd taken the skins off of the animals, and it depends on when they find out about it, but not when it actually occurred, and when the animal actually became invalid. And Omar Akiva, Akiva said, From the words of Rabbi Kayanim, we can learn, that somebody who takes the skin off of a firstborn animal, the halach is that one's firstborn animal needs to be given to a koyen. However, if that animal dies without a valid slaughtering, then the koyen can't benefit from it, he can't take the skins of the animal, and he needs to bury it all. So if somebody took the skin off of a firstborn, when it's a trafer, and it emerges, they find out that that firstborn animal has an internal wound, which means that it cannot be slaughtered validly, and once it's been killed, it needs to be buried and cannot be benefited from. Nevertheless, says Riyakiva, according to Bichanina's Ganaklanim, she is are allowed to benefit from the skin of that animal. Because the skin was taken off before what? The skin was taken off after the invalidation occurred because it was invalid the whole time because it has an internal wound. However, they only found out that the animal was invalid after the skin was taken off and therefore the skin does not go together with the rest of the animal and that it needs to be buried. Rather, the kainim are allowed to benefit from the skin. She is like, I that the kainim can benefit from its skin. However, the kainim say, you know, in a raya. When Yerichaninus Gan and said that we never saw this. That's not a proof. Maybe during his time that he served in Beis HaMikdash, this never occurred. But that's no proof that you'll never find a case where the skin does need to be burnt. Rather, it would be burnt, the carbon, we're going back to Bichlinus Ganakarim's case. Meaning, according to the Chachomim, it doesn't depend on the time that the invalidation is found out about, but rather it depends on when the invalidation of the carbon actually happened. Also testified regarding a small village on the side of Yerushalayim. There was one 
elderly righteous man, he would lend money to all of the members, all of the residents of that village, and he would write the documents, which he would keep in order to be able to reclaim his money, his loan, he would write the documents himself with his own writing. Just that other people would sign on the document, but the actual document was written by him. And this story, this practice came in front of the Chachomim. The Hitiru, when they allowed it, they allowed the person for whom the document is going to be a benefit to write the document, even though, of course, we need other people to sign it. There's absolutely no problem with him, with him writing the text of the get. And the Mishra will explain why exactly that is in a moment. The Mishra first tells us, though, that according to your way, meaning according to what we just said, at Halomid you learn, that a woman could write the text of her own get. If she is being divorced, and a man can write the text of his shiva, which is the receipt which he receives from his wife when he gives her the kasuba, a certain amount of money when he divorces her. So in order to make sure that she doesn't reclaim that money later on, he keeps a document to prove that he has already given her that money of the kasuba. So all of these things, the person, even, even the person who is benefiting from that document, and he's going to be keeping that document, he can be the one to write it. Why? Says Mishnah in because the establishment and validation of a document is based purely on its signatures, and therefore the actual writing of the get we don't mind about, since there will be other witnesses who sign on that document. Alright, now the final testimony of Rebbechinina's Ganakayanim is regarding a needle which is found in the meat of a carbon. And we're talking about a needle which was known to have become Tome. For example, it touched a dead body, and the needle is now Tome. And the needle is found in the meat of the carbon. And the case under discussion is where either a knife or a person's hands touched that needle, but only possibly. We're not sure. There is a doubt as to whether the, the knife, which is another item, or a person's hands, touched the Tommy needle. And Yubichanina Skarnakarnim says, The knife, or the person's hands, would be considered pure. There would be tahar out of doubt. And this is because of a rule that any doubtful case of Tumor, if it occurs in a public area, and for this matter, a the Besamekdosh is considered to be a public area, then it is ruled leniently that it is considered tahar. Whereas if it's a private area where there are only one or two people around, then out of doubt it's considered tome. And because of that reason, the knife and the person's hand would be remaining tahar. However, the habosar, the meat, of course, tome, that would be tome because the needle is currently in the meat, and there is no doubt regarding the meat. It should be noted that in order for something to become tome, it has to have become wet at some point, even if when it becomes tome it's not wet, at some point it has to have become wet. Not only that, it has to have become wet after it's already able to become Tome. Now, an alive animal cannot become Tome, but a dead animal can become Tome. So we must be talking about a case where the flesh of this animal became wet after it was already slaughtered, after the animal was already killed, and therefore it is able to become Tome. Alright, if it is Baperesh, if the Tome needle is found in the excrement of the animal, so then I call Tahar, everything would be pure. The flesh, of course, the, the meat of the animal would be pure because the needle didn't touch it. And even the excrement would be pure because it didn't become wet before becoming Tome. We're talking about a case where it became wet, where the flesh of the animal became wet after the animal was killed, but not the excrement of the animal, and therefore only the meat would be Tome in a case where the needle touched the meat.
Three things Rabbi Shmuel said in front of the Chachomim which literally means in the vineyard in Yavne. This is referring to the Sanhedrin, the main basin of the Jewish people, and directly after the Besamikdash was destroyed, the Sanhedrin moved from the location of the Besamikdash to Yavne, and that's where the Sanhedrin was. And Rabbi Shmuel said three halachas over there. The first one is Albeitza Trufa, regarding raw egg which has been mixed up together. The yolk of the egg and the white of the egg have been mixed together. And it was put on top of a vegetable of truma, which was cooking inside of a pot or a pan. And on top of that, he put an egg. And the egg sunk onto the vegetable and was cooked together with it. And what happened next is that a tavul yoim touched the egg. A tavul yoim is somebody who has completed everything he needs to do in order to become pure. And he's on the last stage of becoming pure from Tumor, which is going to the mikveh. And all he needs to do now is to wait until nightfall, until the end of that day. If, for example, he came from a dead body, so it takes seven days before he can become Tahar again. And the status of this person, who is known as a Tavul Yaim, that he's been to the mikveh, he's just waiting for the day to end. His status is that of a Shainila Tumor, two degrees removed from the main primary level of Tumor. And this is quite a low level of Tumor. And only something which is truma would become tome from this. Regular food cannot become a shalishi latoma. So if it touches a shani latoma, a second degree toma, it wouldn't become tome. However, truma which can become a third degree tome if it touches a tavul yoim. If a tavul yoim touches the truma, the truma will become tome as a shalishi latoma, a third degree tuma. Now, the egg is not truma. Truma only comes from things which grew from the ground, like the vegetable. So the egg itself shouldn't become tome unless it's considered connected and secondary to the actual actual vegetable. If that is the case, then not only will the egg become tome, the entire vegetable will become tome, because when the tavulium touched the egg, it's as if he touched the entire vegetable. And indeed, the Mishnah says, Sheikhibur. The egg on top of the vegetable is considered to be connected to it, such that if the tavulium touches it, the entire vegetable with the egg will become tome as a shlishi latuma. That having been said, if the egg was like a hat, meaning as the egg was heated up, it didn't sink onto the vegetable, but rather there was sort of a hollow area underneath the egg, and the egg formed a sort of cone shape on top of the vegetable. In that case, it's not considered connected, and therefore if the tvulyom touched the egg, the egg would remain tahar because it's not truma, and the vegetable would remain tahar because the person only touched the egg and not the vegetable, and the egg isn't con- considered connected and part of the vegetable. Alright, the second thing which Rabbi Shmuel said is al shibilis shibakotzer, regarding a stalk of grain which is in an area of the field which has been harvested already. There is a law that if somebody forgets in his harvest part of the field, he needs to leave that for the poor. So what happens if part of the area of the part of the field has been harvested, and indeed he left behind some of it? Is he allowed to go back and take it? In general, we would say no. However, in this case, the tip of this stalk, which is still remaining in the ground, if you were to bend it, it would reach another part of the field which has not yet been harvested at all. So in that case, in if when you arrive at the next part of the field to harvest that part, you would be able in one motion to harvest part of that part of the field together with this stalk of grain which was forgotten, then we can view it as being part of that row, part of that area of the field which has not yet been harvested. In which case, you would not need to leave it for the poor, and you can harvest it together 
with the unharvested part of the field. And therefore, if it can be harvested together with the unharvested part of the field, it would belong to the owner of the field. If not, then it would belong to the poor people. This gift which goes to the poor is known as shikha, a forgotten part of the field, of the grain in the field. Alright, now the third thing which Rishmal said is regarding a small garden which was surrounded by an oris. An oris is a vine, or a number of vines, which grow on the side of a fence, similar to how ivy grows. And this fence surrounds a small garden. The question is, would you be able to plant any other species, any other plants within that small garden? Or is it too close to the vines such that it will appear to be like kilayim? which is when one mixes two different species together, or a different species inside a vineyard, that is a more severe form of kilayim. So the Mishnah says, If the size of that garden is large enough, that next to each fence, on either side of the garden, there is enough room for the person who harvests the vine, together with his basket, where he can put the grapes inside. So the person himself requires the space of one amar, and his basket also requires the space of one amar. And that's next to both fences on both sides of the garden, which means that it needs to be four by four amas, that garden, which is surrounded by an by an oris. If the garden is four by four amas, then tizora, it is permitted to plant a different species in the middle of this small garden, as long as you still distance that new species away from the vines by at least one amar. So that would mean that the middle two by two amas of that garden can plant with a different species, vimlav. But if there's less than four amas in that garden, four by four amas, then later Zora, none of that garden can be planted at all. Since it's such a small area, it would appear as if you are mixing that species of plant of seeds together with the vineyard, together with the vines, and that is a prohibition of Kilayim. Three things were said in front of Rabbi Shmuel by his students, and he didn't say what the law is, whether it's forbidden or permitted. He was in doubt as to what the correct law is. And Rabbi Shobin Masya explained and elaborated on them, and he stated what the law is. And in all of these cases, it's going to depend on what the exact situation is for what the law is going to be. Firstly, Hamavis Mursaba Shabbos, one who makes a hole in a boil or some sort of wound on Shabbos. Imlas is if you are doing it in order to make an opening in that boil, in that wound, so that the air can get into it, whatever it is. The point being that you want that opening there, and that's why you are creating it. Chayev, you are liable for breaking Shabbos. You are creating something, it's like building something, you're creating something which you want, you want that opening to be there. However, if you're only making that opening in it in order to get rid of the moist pus, which is oozing out of that boil, out of that wound, then potter he is exempt. Reason being, this is considered a melochashin in gufa, which is a very important concept regarding the laws of Shabbos. Melochashin in gufa is when somebody does a form of work which is generally forbidden on Shabbos, but he does it for a different purpose to what that general form of work is done for. So over here, he's not building this, he's not creating this opening in the wound because he wants the opening in the wound. He's doing it because he wants to get rid of the pus. If he could get rid of the pus from this thing without making an opening, he wouldn't make the opening. It happens to be in order to get rid of the pus, he also needs to make an opening. But he's not making an opening in the boil for the sake of the opening. And therefore it's considered to be a malachshin in And not only that, in general, it's still forbidden to do a malachshin in 
on Shabbos because it's very similar to a regular form of work which is forbidden on Shabbos. However, in a case where somebody is getting pain on Shabbos and we're doing the Malach Shinsich Gufa to cause him to have less pain, such as in this case, then even it, it would be permitted. Alright, the second case which we, which we, Shomel Masya, clarified what the law is, and it be Shmuel was in doubt as to what the law is, is Vahatsod Nochosh Peshabbos, somebody who traps a snake on Shabbos, in Ms. Asik Shleishchenu, if he's involved in this, in order that the snake doesn't bite him, then once again, Potter will be exempt, because it's a Malachash in Tsuchelagufa. He's not doing it because he wants to trap the animal and take the animal. He's doing it because he's scared of the animal and he doesn't want the animal to bite him. So the purpose for which he's doing the Malachah is different to what trapping is generally meant for. And therefore, will be exempt. And once again, this would also be permitted to do, even on a Midrabon level, because you are avoiding harm. However, if you trap the snake on Shabbos in order to use the snake itself for medicinal purposes, for healing purposes, then he's trapping it for the sake of the animal itself, and Chayev, he would be liable. Thirdly, regarding which refers to a sort of ball of clay, which is hollow on the inside, and after it was dried and fully made, they would cut it open in the middle, and you'd end up with two cup-like utensils. The question is, what about before you cut them open? The Mishnah says, they would remain tahar even if they are in the same building under the same roof as a dead body. Because as we learned earlier on in the Masechta, earthenware utensils can only become tomei from their inside. So since their inside is fully sealed, it would not become tomei. The way that the tumor works when you're under the same roof as a dead body is that we look at the entire room as being full of tome, of tumor. Okay, but that tumor is only touching the outside of this earthenware utensil and not the inside because it's fully, fully sealed and therefore the utensil would remain tahar. However, they would become tome if a zov carries them. A zov is a, somebody who has a certain level of tumor and he can transfer that to utensils by carrying or moving them. And the way that that tumor is transferred is not that we view it by as if you touched it. The tumor being under the same roof as a dead body is very similar to the Tumor which is transferred by touching something. But over here, the reason why a utensil becomes Tommy when a Zod carries it is not because he had contact with it, but it's because he carried it. Even if he's not touching it, if he carries it, the item becomes Tommy. He also carries the inside of the utensil, and therefore, if he carries this earthenware, this clay ball, which is hollow on the inside, it would become Tommy. However, Rabbi Sodik says that for a different reason, even if a Zod carries it, it would be, it would remain pure. For a different reason, because the work which is being done on this has not been completed. It is not a completed utensil, and still needs more work to be done on it before it can be used, and in such a case, it cannot become Tomei. And Yishoyi Maso generally agrees with this. However, he holds that in this case, since the last stage is so simple to do it, it's just a matter of cutting it in half, so you view it already from now as if the completion of this item has been completed.